Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Jordan. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. Among the things that we can be sure of in life are taxes and death. The reality, which many of us neglect to consider, is that one day each of us will die. When that occurs, our possessions and property will have to be disposed of by our family in a lawful and efficient manner. Many people don't understand the continuing legal issues which our death may cause and the additional turmoil which our family might be required to endure. As a result, it is our responsibility to create a distribution plan for the property and possessions which we leave behind. Remember, you can't take it with you. And in too many cases, what we leave behind can create unnecessary antagonism and conflict among family members. In those situations where a person has not properly prepared a property distribution plan, the state of North Carolina through its laws mandates how the property is to be distributed. That statutory plan may not accurately reflect the wishes of the individual who has passed away and it typically provides a legal framework which must be followed. The failure to follow this mandate can create unnecessary legal problems. And this is the case regardless of the demographics or the economic realities of the family. Tonight, we'll discuss the estate planning and administrative requirements And at the conclusion, we hope that each of you understand the importance of making sure that plans are prepared to properly administer the estate. Joining us for this discussion, we have with us Dorothy Nachman. She is a professor of law at North Carolina Central University School of Law, where she teaches, among other courses, property, decedents' estates, and estate and gift taxation. Also joining us is Mariah Street. She is a business and legacy planning attorney and a proud graduate of NCCU School of Law. Also joining us is Pamela Harrigan-Young. She is an attorney, a tax expert, and CPA. So first, we wanna thank the three of you for joining us this evening. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Absolutely. So first, um, Attorney Street, if you could just tell us a little bit about your business and legacy planning uh, business that you have. So you have a law firm. And I think it's really interesting how you kind of focus on the need for legacy planning. Can you share a little bit with us about your practice? Yes, yes. So I started my law firm a few years ago, um, decided to take a leap of faith and hang my own shingle, as they say, and 
Um, one of the main reasons for me starting it was for personal reasons, actually. Um, when I was in college, uh, my mom passed away at a very young age. She was 46. Um, so very young, you know, very, very young. Um, very unexpected. She wasn't sick, nothing like that. And um, of course, on top of having to grieve a significant loss in my life, we had to deal with all of the financial and legal stuff on top of that. And I could see what it was doing to my dad. And we've had conversations about it after the fact saying he never wants to go through that again. Um, and, you know, she, she, like most of us, we don't have proper planning in place. And so we did or didn't at the time. And so that meant that state law determined what happened to her assets and all of that. Um, and uh, me or my brother, we didn't really see that much from her estate. Of course, you know, my dad was taking care of us and everything like that, but there wasn't specific money set aside for me or my brother. Um, and my brother was in high school at the time. And so I know that if she just sat down and done the planning and talked to an attorney or what have you, that she would have def that's definitely what she would have wanted. She was a proponent of higher education. She, I know she would have wanted um, some money set aside for me going to law school. And she knew, she knew that I wanted to be an attorney. Um, she passed before, you know, I actually enrolled. And, you know, she might've set aside some money for a down payment on a home or seed money for starting this firm. And so I've, I noticed that that was very commonplace among a lot of people that we don't have these conversations and think about it. And so I really wanted my firm to be a source of education for people of the awareness of why it's important and what to consider, um, especially if you have kids, if you have people that are depending on you, if you have a business, you're a business owner, it's important to think about what, you know, what is going to happen um, to the people I care about, the things that I own, and what I want my legacy to be. Um, do I want to, you know, provide for future generations and that type of thing? So that's kind of where my firm was birthed um, from from those sentiments. So I love doing what I do, and it, it's great. Love serving clients. Excellent. And Attorney Harrigan Young, so you have a law firm as well. You also have, in addition to your JD and your legal license, you are a CPA and a tax expert. Can you share a little bit about your practice and how you decided to focus on estate planning? Yes, certainly. So um, my first career was as a CPA and I always was interested in the tax aspect of uh, being a CPA. And so that's what led me to law school. And then I learned um, and um, after that first year where we took all the required courses, I started tailoring my um, education to focus on tax law courses. And even though I went to Chapel Hill, I ventured over to Central and took a few classes there, even under Professor Nachman. So, yes. So I, um, you know, worked in private practice for a while and then decided to hang my own shingle and that was um, back in 2012. So I've been practicing, um, doing estate planning, estate administration, tax planning, tax preparation. And I'm also licensed to sell insurance because all of those things work together um, to um, complete a holistic estate plan. So that's my passion. I think it's very important in the African-American community, but I work with all clients because 
planning for death is is not a topic that people like to um, think about, but the consequences that can happen afterwards when planning is not done is um, are are very severe. And so, you know, it's my mission to try to help people understand the importance of of getting things in place so that at least people can, um, you know, grieve and not have to deal with financial um, issues and family strife in addition to their grief. And Professor Nachman, you have, not to age you, been a professor here at NCCU School of Law for well over a decade. And I know because you and I started real close to the same time. And as attorney Harrigan Young mentioned, she, you know, learned from you and you have provided um, an incredible education for a lot of our really outstanding attorneys in the state who practice um, estate planning, wills and trusts. Can you talk a little bit about, because you have also practiced in this area, talk about your practice and provide observations that you've seen when you are educating future lawyers about this space? Uh, yeah, so I was in private practice before I joined the faculty. I was in a boutique estate planning firm. We were um, we were all board certified in estate planning. Uh, so, you know, we sat for that extra exam to make sure we, um, you know, were really skilled at estate planning issues. Um, one of the things I find and I find really compelling when teaching is so often I think people think they don't need estate planning unless they have a lot of money. Uh, we know that less than 30% of um, African-Americans in particular do not have wills. And as um, attorney Harrigan Young indicated, this has huge implications for your family if you die without a will. And um, there are several obstacles to that. So one of the things I talk to students about is what are those obstacles? What are those obstacles in your own family? What are those obstacles in your community? What kind of language do you need to be able to talk with, uh, with clients about why they need a will, even if they don't feel like they have a lot of property? And, um, and so how to adopt a language that... Um, makes clients comfortable talking about really sensitive issues. And it's certainly one of the greatest gifts I think you can leave your family is a plan in place. And I think the more attorneys that we can train here at North Carolina Central, going back to their communities where they already know people, they already have a level of trust, perhaps, so that then working their way into these conversations is a little less difficult than when it's a stranger. You know, I, I grew up in a community where we use the uh, common law uh, estate uh, planning, uh, which involved the uh, first person who got to the house, got everything. Uh, and uh, everybody was mad except you uh, because you uh, had it. So um, it's a costly process, isn't it, to... Uh, engage in this uh, estate planning uh, process. And a lot of people will conclude that, well, they want me to do this because they can make money off of it. Uh, 
what 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 is you know the the motivation for the individual now who is on the uh, street or in the house uh, to want to plan for their death and what is going to occur after them that doesn't even involve them. I'll leave it to, to, to any of you experts, you know, to kind of help 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 people in my community understand that the old way is not the right way. Well, I will look forward to one of the currently practicing lawyers to speak to kind of the current state of um, the business part. I will say that we teach a lot of cases at the law school of people that thought the same thing that said they weren't going to have a will or they won't do it by themselves around their kitchen table and what they ultimately paid in attorney's fees to get the issues resolved because of this um, deficient plan were a lot more costly than perhaps what they would have paid if they had sought out the services of an estate planning lawyer at the beginning. That's a really good point, Professor Nachman. And in addition to that, you they may say, well, I'm dead. I don't care. But what happens is that is less of your legacy that is left for your family to enjoy. So while it's not you spending your money, the family that you left behind doesn't have as much funds to deal with um, and um, may not even have enough to handle things. So they may end up having to sell um, a home that maybe one the family legacy, you know, the family home house, the home place may end up being lost. And so you could think about it in terms of not just what I might have to spend now and how much how much it will cost my family later, but what I won't get to leave them and what um family treasures could be lost in the process. Yeah, that's a good point. And I would also say that peace of mind is priceless in knowing that a lot of clients come to me and they're coming to me for that reason. They're saying, I just want to, I just want, I feel better sleeping at night, knowing that if there was an emergency, if something were to happen, that my wishes are stated, they're legally signed and documented, people have to follow them. Uh, and if something were to happen, if I passed away there, I have a plan of how I want things distributed. The family, my family members that I care about, they don't have to think about what do I need to do? Um, I had an uncle that passed away from COVID in 2020 and my aunt who would have been like the first responder. Um, and she was the person that ended up being the healthcare agent. Um, she told me personally at the hospital that, uh, you know, the, they said that there was nothing that uh, told her that there was nothing that that they could do and that he was going to die. And she told me that she wished that she knew what his end of life care wishes were. And they weren't documented because he hadn't sat down and done that planning. And so, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of clients, they, they when they come to me, they finally realize that, that, that I, I'm here to make sure that there's a plan in place. Um, to make sure that, you know, my, any assets that if I have, we have a family home, like um, attorney Pamela was talking about, that it is passed down in the way that I want. Um, and that also, like Professor Notman said, that the costs 
of this financial, if you're just talking strictly financial costs of not doing it, it could be significantly more than what you would pay an attorney to help you put a plan in place. So I agree. So Attorney Street, you mentioned end of life plan. And can you, when when you have a client who comes um, and say they know nothing about estate planning, but they know they need to do something, what provide us with um, kind of an overview of what an estate plan entails. What should we be thinking about as we begin to prepare for having an estate plan? Yes, so great question. So I always tell people, um, one, you wanna have uh, some type of a document that plans for the distribution of everything that you own. So whether that is a last will and testament or a trust, um, a combination of the two, because if you have a trust, then you'll have a will But uh, as well. But some type of distribution document that says, hey, I want you know, this person or people or charity or whoever you, you want to get this, this thing that I own and um, to make sure that those, those wish, wishes are documented. Um, the second thing uh, would definitely be your powers of attorney. So one, either financial or durable, depending on the state that you're in, um, uh, or property power of attorney, that is a document that you'll name somebody to step in your place. If you're in the hospital, you can't make decisions for yourself and you need somebody to like pay your bills or sign contracts on your behalf or um, whatever, any part of your legal or financial life um, that you would need handled while you're in the hospital, you want somebody to take that over while you're in the hospital. Because if you come out, you know, of that situation, you don't want to be left with a big financial mess after that. So that kind of allows somebody to step in your shoes and take care of those things as well. Um, you would also want your healthcare power of attorney. So if you are in the hospital and you can't make decisions for yourself, who is going to be the person that is going to be communicating with your doctors, authorizing treatments, surgery, hiring and firing doctors, all of that, um, you know, they're going to be the one to kind of step again, step in your shoes and communicate what, you know, you would kind of specify in your planning, what you would want your health healthcare agent to kind of do on your behalf. Um, but that's definitely something you would want to have in your plan, as well as your, like I was just mentioning, your end of life care which it, wishes, which would be in your advanced directives or living will. Um, so that is, is if, if you are in a type of end of life care situation, like I was talking about with my uncle, like it was determined that he was going to pass away. What, what do you want to have happen? Um, are there certain circumstances that you would want life prolonging measures to be um, withdrawn? Um, or, you know, do you want artificial hydration and nutrition? If you're in those situations, you know, a lot of people have, you know, a lot to say about that, but you can document these things. That's the point. You can document what you would want to have happen. Um, I also would say that the last document I would say to have in your plan is our HIPAA authorizations, so that your healthcare agent um, is able to access your medical records and make better healthcare decisions on your behalf. Because um, we all know, or, you know, or maybe 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 not know that you know somebody can't ask, access your medical records without your written permission. So um, those would be definitely the foundational things that everybody should have in their estate plan. If you're over the age of 18 and you're able to, you know, make those, make these decisions legally, for sure. This is the uh, Legal Legal Review. And uh, we're talking about the uh, need for estate planning with uh, three experts uh, in this uh, area. 
Professor uh, D.D. Nachman, who is at the North Carolina Central University School of Law and teaches uh, courses in uh, property, decedents of state and uh, estate and gift uh, taxation. Uh, Attorney Maria Mariah Street, who is a uh, business and legacy planning uh, attorney and uh, obviously one of our proud uh, alums uh, here at the uh, at this uh, NCCU School of Law, and attorney Pamela Harrington Young, who is not only an attorney in uh, in private practice but a tax expert and CPA, so she covers the uh, the uh, the board uh, in this uh, in this area. We're going to take our break right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this very important uh, discussion, which we hope that you will gain a lot of uh, information and inspiration uh, from. So stay with us and we will be right back. Hello, this is Shantae McNeil, and I'm a second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your weekly announcement. This week on the Legal Eagle Review, we discuss estate planning. Your estate consists of everything you own, your car, home, checking and savings accounts, investments, life insurance, furniture, and personal possessions, which will all need a new owner after your demise. One thing is guaranteed in life, and that is death. Death is sad to think about, but it is important that you adequately prepare for your inevitable fate. About 70% of African American adults do not have a will or plan for the people and things they will leave behind. You have assets, and if you do not plan, the state will decide what happens to them. Secure your family and their future wealth by planning your estate. This is Shantae McNeil with the Legal Eagle Review, and this is your weekly announcement. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we uh, continue uh, this uh, discussion on the uh, need for estate planning, a uh, topic that uh, we uh, uh, ignore uh, purposely in uh, many instances, but uh, uh, out of uh, an abundance of knowledge on, on the other side. But they you know, whenever you do it, you cause uh, problems. And we have three experts here uh, who deal with this uh, topic on a uh, regular basis. And we're bringing you uh, information from them uh, to uh, help you better prepare and plan uh, the uh, end of life uh, process, which we will all face at uh, at some point. Uh, one of the knocks, I guess, on the state planning is the uh, estate uh, administration, the uh, probate uh, process, and all of the uh, anxieties associated uh, with that. Can you kind of talk through uh, people uh, that's listening to us about the uh, uh, how to navigate through that uh, process so that it can be handled in a more expedient and expeditious way? Uh, Manner. So why don't we just start with uh, Attorney uh, uh, Harrington Young, and uh, then we'll go around the board uh, from okay. there. All right, wonderful. So 
The estate administration process, also known as probate, is what happens when um, a person passes away and you have to go through the process of distributing their assets. And so they can either pass away with a will or without a will. And um, they can also have a trust. And we'll talk about that um, after I give a little summary. So if you pass away without a will, then you have to, an administrator has to be appointed to distribute your assets according to the laws of intestacy, which were mentioned in the introduction. So the state has a will planned for you if you decide not to write one yourself. And it may not be the distribution to the people that you originally wanted it to go, but the, the process of probate is the court overseeing that process and making sure that forms are filed and the assets go according to law. And the way around that is to have a will so that the assets go to the people that you want them to go through, go to. But the whole process of probate involves going to court, filing forms, paying fees, and sometimes working with an attorney. In the state of North Carolina, you are not required to work with an attorney, but the clerk's office where you go to in the county where the person passes away, by law, the clerks cannot help you fill out the forms. So they can give you the forms and give you a few little instructions, and they do have um, an estate administration handbook, and you can figure it out. But if you run into snags, then they will tell you you need to hire an attorney. So there are fees involved, fees to open the estate, fees to file their um, filing deadlines along the way. You have to file a notice to creditors in the paper so that if anybody um, owes, if, if you're, the decedent owes anyone money, they have a chance to file a claim in the estate so that it can be paid. And so then there's an order um, in which people are paid. And so there's a priority of creditors that get paid. And um, the, the filing fees are based on the assets in your estate. So in North Carolina, you pay 40 cents on every $100 you transfer up to a maximum of $6,000. So if you have, uh, I think it's a $1.5 million estate, you're at the maximum, you're not gonna pay any more than that. But anything under 1.5 million, you're looking at fees um, up to $6,000. So there, that is a long process. It can take, um, you know, depending on how involved the estate is, it can take anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years, depending on what issues arise. And if you're paying an attorney, it can be quite expensive um, to, to have an attorney involved in that process. Now, the whole process of probate can be avoided if you have a trust. Um, and if you fund assets in that trust um, before you die, then there's really nothing that needs to pass through the probate process. So that's that's another reason for talking to an attorney and, and creating an estate plan because there may be you know, a way for you to avoid paying these fees, passing your assets along without having um, 
the, the filing fees and that potential up to $6,000 coming out of your estate. Professor Nachman. Yeah, I would, of course, agree with everything that um, Attorney Harrigan Young has said. I think the other thing uh, that's important to know is that in talking to a lawyer, you can better understand which of your assets will actually pass under your will versus passing outside of probate. So for instance, your retirement account, if you have a beneficiary designation on it, it's not ever going to become part of your probate estate. It's not going to pass under your will. It's not going to pass under intestacy. If you have a life insurance policy with an individual named as a beneficiary, uh, it might not be part of your probate estate. So those kind of conversations, those those are the nitty gritty details, right, that a, a lawyer can help you parse through. Um, and the other thing is we want to make sure that those assets coordinate with the estate plan that you've created, especially if there are minor children involved. Uh, you might not want them to take those life insurance proceeds. Chances are the life insurance company isn't going to pay them to minor children. So what's the plan for coordinating the distribution of those proceeds with perhaps a trust that you've created, uh, maybe under your will for those minor children. Uh, and the other thing I would say is there are some uh, alternatives for probate if the surviving spouse is the sole beneficiary under the will. And that's something you could discuss with an attorney. It's a little bit of a shortened process, but there are risks involved depending on what debts the decedent, you know, your spousal decedent left. And then if it's a, there's a small estate administration option, again, when it really is a very small estate, that can be a little bit of a shortened process. But for a full estate administration that um, Attorney Harrigan Young described, it can be a fairly lengthy process and it can be an overwhelming process. Even when your documents are all in place, there are deadlines, um, it requires a certain level of organization. And I think one of the things you have to be careful of is to not distribute property out until that process runs its course. And uh, as Professor Joyner mentioned, uh, when it's a race to get to all the tchotchkes in the house, you want to you want everybody just to settle down and wait for the process to evolve. And um, that can be a challenge with with family members that are anxious to just get it done. Mm -hmm. Go to street. I think they covered a lot of it, but I would I I would also add um, that that's why it's important to really think about what your goals are when it comes to planning. When you do go to your attorney and you have these conversations, so I have a lot of clients that come into my office that know a lot about what this the probate process entails, and so they don't want to have their family members to go through that process. So now it's a discussion of, of okay, so then what do we need to put in place to make sure that we accomplish those goals. Um, so if if you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh shoot, this is kind of a lot. And, you know, regardless, it, you know, there's like Professor Notman said that there, you know, it's going to be a process regardless of whether you have a plan, but it's a lot more organized and, you know, things are stated when there is something there. Um, but yeah, it, that's why it's, like I said, why it's important to really consider what what are your goals when it comes to getting your estate plan done? Are you trying to avoid probate? Are you, it, what, what ways do you want to provide for your minor children? Um, how do you want them to have money distributed at what ages? You know, all of that, just 
preliminarily thinking about those things and then you can coordinate that with your attorney and we you know we have the legal knowledge to kind of help strategize around a lot of that so yes and we're all pretty familiar with um you know kind of tangible assets our home our bank account um our car but something that has become increasingly um more of an issue are digital assets. So if we think about our social media accounts, when we think about our email accounts, when we think about our passwords, when we think about even possibly digital currencies, cryptocurrency, and a lot of folks don't think about how that is going to kind of play out. So um, if you have someone who passes away or even just becomes incapacitated, do you have access to their passwords? What how do you counsel clients when it comes to the digital space? Uh, Attorney Street, let's start with you. Yes. Okay. This is, this comes up a lot um, in meetings. And so there are for some, for some digital assets, like let's, if you want to talk about social media, I know social media is very big and a lot of people have social media accounts. Um, eat, most platforms now um, have a certain, um, way that you can give access to somebody to your account if you were to pass away. So like I know Facebook has a, like a legacy thing. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but um, you can, you know, go into your account and actually appoint somebody to uh, if, if something were to happen that, you know, you can if you want to turn your account into, I think, a, like a memorial type of account or something that you're able to do that. You can give the people that you would want access to that account. Same with like Instagram um, and all of that. This is, of course, still a developing area because technology is always evolving. But um, I when it comes to digital asset planning, I actually give clients a, a spreadsheet and some instructions on uh, really, first of all, listing out everything that you own digitally. So whether it's an email, email addresses, you know, if you're a business owner, you might have websites, um, domains, you know, all of that, like really thinking about everything that you own in the digital space, if you own cryptocurrency, that type of thing making sure that it's doc at least that at a minimum that it's documented somewhere. And that's why I have a spreadsheet so that and I include it in their estate plan so that if something were to happen, people know what accounts they had and how they can access it. Um, there are now softwares where you can um, like share your passwords with certain, certain accounts. So I know like LastPass and things like that, where you can kind of grant somebody access to um, these types of accounts. So um, really, it's it's a matter of like making sure that you document what all accounts you had and then kind of naming somebody to maybe be in charge of that account, as well as maybe instructions, because maybe you want your um, your account to continue to live on. Maybe you want your Facebook account to still be active and, you know, for a particular reason, um, like I know I follow actually Chad McBosen's account before he passed. And now I know his family runs it and they, 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 um, they, they, you know, give up like updates on things that they're doing in his name at, you know, Howard or whatever, like philanthropic things that he was involved in. So it's still active and they still post from it. Um, so that's like, do you want that? And so it's, again, it's considerations that you should think about, you know, if something were to happen, then 
you know, how would you want those accounts to be managed? Or do you just want to get rid of them? That's fine too. But just making sure that you, you know, kind of have a little bit of understanding of what you want. Mm -hmm. And attorney Harrigan Young. So um, attorney Street mentioned, you know, naming someone for the legacy accounts who will kind of overlook your or, or maintain or not your social media accounts. And of course, when you have, um, when you think about who is going to be the executor of your account or the trustees, um, what should individuals think about in deciding who will be the executors or the administrators or the trustees of the account? Mm, that's a very good question. And I usually advise my clients to think, um, to consider that it doesn't have to be a family member. So a lot of times they will think, oh, it'll, it should be my husband or my wife or my daughter or my um, sister or brother. And I give them, try to help them open their minds to say, it, if those people are not going to meet these qualifications, then you can look outside of the family structure. So you want someone who um, will be financially responsible because an executor um, administrator, um, and your financial or durable power of attorney agents will have fiduciary responsibilities. And so they can be sued if they don't handle them properly. And so they need to know that. And um, the role of executor is very um, involved. There's a lot that they have to do. And what a lot of people don't know when they come to me, they're like, okay, I'm an executor. And I say, okay, well, you're going to be able to receive a fee for the work that you do. There's a statutory um, fee allowed to you. And they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm doing this out of love. And I'm, I'm just, you know, happy to do it. And then by the time the process is over, they're saying, I, I would like my fee, please. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is a lot of work. Um, you have to go to banks, you have to make phone calls, you have to track down assets, um, you have to retrieve assets. So um, you want to pick people who can keep papers organized and also people who you trust. And I always say um, in, in closing these comments that when you're trying to find a financial power of attorney, pick someone who has money of their own and does not need yours. Yeah, we just had to pause there for a minute to let that sink in, <laughs> right? Can, so, and go ahead and, and state that again. And, and just, it, it seems obvious why, but if you could expand upon that yes. a little bit. So I said, choose a person who has their own financial stability and does not need your money because the power of attorney um, can act while you're still alive. And as attorney street was saying earlier if you're ill in the hospital and then you come out of your illness and you now have your finances in disarray you could also find out that you have no finances because the agent took full advantage of your sickness so you want to make sure that that person knows how to manage money and um, they manage their own money well so they will manage yours well and they have their own assets so they won't try to dip into yours. And so that's that's really important. And same with an executor. Um, 
because you want to make sure that person will distribute the assets accordingly by will or by law. And, you know, there are some executors that can go rogue. And um, when you have a will, sometimes the executor, it has a provision that the executor doesn't have to post bond. When you're an administrator and there is no will, the law requires you to have a bond. And that's just in case the executor or administrator go flying off with the with the assets of the estate. So the insurance will cover it. But you just want to keep all of those things in mind as you're making these choices. All right, you are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. This week begins estate planning week, and we have been talking this hour about the need for everyone, regardless of their level of assets or incomes or demographics, to make sure they engage in estate planning. We have with us here in our Zoom studio three experts. We have one of our colleagues, Professor Dorothy Nachman, here at North Carolina Central University School of Law. She has had a practice in estate planning. She teaches property, decedents estates, and estate and gift taxation. And we have with us Mariah Street. She is a business and legacy planning attorney and a proud NCCU Law alum. And attorney Pamela Harrigan-Young, who is not only attorney, but a CPA and tax expert. We're gonna have to take a quick break. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Keanu Woods, and I'm a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. On Saturday, October 21st, Boxyard RTP will be hosting a Fall Fest. Boxyard RTP is known to provide a platform for emerging and seasoned entrepreneurs in the food, hospitality, retail, and events industry. The Fall Fest will grant the community the opportunity to see their highly curated selection of accessories, clothing, home goods, custom gifts, and more by local artists and makers. The event will take place from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Boxyard RTP, located at 900 Park Offices Drive, Triangle, North Carolina, 27709. This is Keanu Woods with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. back on the uh, Legal Legal Review. Thank you so much for uh, staying uh, with us as we uh, now conclude uh, this uh, conversation about uh, estate planning. And uh, when we took our break, uh, Attorney uh, Harrigan uh, Young made a uh, point that uh, the person that you choose uh, to be your uh, executor of the estate or the uh, person you assign to handle your affairs in the uh, interim uh, ought to be someone who has uh, who has their own assets and uh, don't need yours uh, in order to uh, to survive. One of the things that uh, you have to manage, uh, I would think, in the uh, administration process as an attorney is the uh, antagonisms 
that uh, develop uh, between not only uh, intended uh, beneficiaries, but those who are excluded as, uh, as uh, beneficiaries. So beginning with, uh, and I'm going to start back with uh, Professor uh, Nachman, uh, since she's kind of removed from the process but has an experience with it. How do you uh, resolve these conflicts among uh, those who should and those who are left out of the uh, the receiving uh, process, particularly where those who are left out are needy rather than greedy? Well, okay, that's a great question. I think um, when we are doing working with an executor, it's another way in which those estate planning documents can be a foundation for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, of course, the Intestate Succession Act, the, the, the North Carolina law by design and default also does that. But the reality is there is a document that says what we have to do. And those are the testator's wishes. Those are the decedent's wishes. And it's the executor's job to follow those wishes and that intent. Um, certainly, it can leave hard feelings. I think the executor has to be um, careful about not being swayed by that kind of after-death um, drama and emotion because you don't want them doing something that they really are not permitted to do to make people happy. Um, obviously, if there's a concern with the will, that the will is not valid for some reason, there is an option for um, other interested parties to bring a, we call it a caveat proceeding where they would contest the will. There are only certain legal grounds on which to bring something like that. So just because you're upset is not one of those legal grounds. Um, it Obviously, if the, the decedent was not competent when they executed their will, we would be concerned about that because now the will doesn't really represent what they wanted when they were of sound mind. So there are some legal protections if there's something fundamentally wrong with that will and there's a that would trigger a legal process uh, if they were to bring a caveat. But you're right, oftentimes it's people that just have really hurt feelings. Uh, they're angry, they think they should have gotten more. Um, and what we can't do is have the administrator or the executor changing how the property gets distributed simply because there's somebody in greater need that didn't uh, didn't get protected. That's that's not the executor's job. That's the lawyer's job when they're talking to the decedent beforehand, right? Do you have a child with special needs? Do you have a sibling that needs extra support? Let's plan for that beforehand, because if you don't, the executor's hands are going to be tied. Um, there, obviously, there are, uh, there are other ways to support this individual by the other survivors, but it can't come out of the decedent's estate after they die if they haven't provided for that. So when you are working with clients that have loved ones they want to protect, it's so important to do that in the will or the trust uh, because the executor or the administrator will have very few options afterwards mm -hmm. uh, to try to kind of deal with that if the testator or the decedent hasn't done it. As, as a follow-up to that, uh, Attorney Speak, can you kind of talk about the powers 
that the uh, person who has the power of attorney or the uh, executive uh, possess and what is it that they can do uh, with those uh, with those powers? Uh, yes, as far as, you know, hurt like people, family members, you know, being acting crazy and, and all of that or, or just. Uh, well, just guess what? What can those uh, individuals who are appointed, what kind of powers do they have to dispose of your uh, assets and to determine uh, just what the outcome is? Oh, yes. You know, that like Professor Nachman said, that is that's definitely their duty as named. If they're an executor of, you know, an estate, if they had a will, if they put a will in place, then it is their legal duty to fulfill those those responsibilities of disposing of, you know, the decedent's assets as, according to what was stated in the wills. Um, I know a uh, um, attorney Harrigan Young actually talked about this earlier as well. If if the person um, was if the person is a trustee of a trust, um, that is particularly is a fiduciary duty. So you know they can be sued if they do not follow what was stated in the trust document um, and and fulfilling the duties as stated. Um, so you know that they have that's their duty and responsibility to be able to to do that and like professor Dockman said i i have had i've had clients that come similarly you know with family members who got their feelings hurt because they weren't named in the will to receive such and such asset or whatever and it it kind of is what it is at that point um and that's why planning is important <laughs> in order to sit down and and talk with an attorney about all of the nuances of that. And honestly, you know, sometimes though, when you, even when you do that, people's feelings are going to get hurt. <laughs> um, I think there's a saying that, you know, at weddings and funerals, there's a lot of arguments. And so regardless of even if you have a plan, um, you still might be offending somebody because you didn't give a certain amount or you didn't name something. And, you know, that's kind of more of a personal, it's got more of a personal issue than it is, you know, legal. So you just kind of have to make sure when you're doing your planning that you, you state what you want to have happen to the things that you've worked so hard to build in life, you know, um, that you have, you're the only one that has the say in that. So if somebody doesn't like that, then and if I may add, um, one of the things you can do when you're drafting your documents is let the family know why you did what you did. And so, you know, their feelings may be hurt afterwards, but they know. And in some cases, you know, you can put provisions in the will that say, well, I am not leaving X child this because I have given them this amount of money during life. And so they have received their inheritance, basically. So you can kind of, you know, draft things to to give people reasons so that they don't come acting like, oh, well, I never got anything. And now I'm, I'm not getting anything in the will. And, and so now, you know, that kind of can cut down on that um, kind, um, contention and, you know, quiet them shut them up because it's like now you see why you didn't get anything you know so I think it's important to for the, the person to explain and also document why they're doing what they're doing and and you all 
kind of collectively have seen it all. And no doubt when, when someone comes and asks for your advice, you're able to pull on a wealth of experiences and kind of share with them um, what they can kind of anticipate, what they should think about. What do you say to those who want to kind of DIY, to you know, do it themselves? And you have estate planning tools. You can do a will on Legal Zoom. Um, at what point should someone seek professional assistance? Because it's a very complicated area, and I think. Um, one of the reasons why you have a lot of individuals and families, especially in um, the Black community and other communities of, of color, is because of the perceived cost, right? And thinking, well, if I do it myself, I can save money. Um, I suspect there are some situations where that might be okay. There may be other situations where it's not advisable. What do you say to those who might want to do it themselves. Okay, I feel like I have a lot to say about this, um, <laughs> but I'll keep it brief. So, cause I, I, I would say about a good portion of my clients that come to me actually come to me after having tried to do it on their own. So they come to me and they say, hey, and I ask if they have something placed and they say, yeah. And I ask, okay, well, did an attorney draft it? And they'll say, no, went on LegalZoom and did it. And I said, okay, so, um, and I, you know, I kind of asked, well, then, you know, why, if you've already got it done, then like, do you mind me asking why, you know, you're here? And they would say, well, I kind of have a feeling that it's not really protecting me. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about it. So until that point, you know, um, I, my goodness. <laughs> so DIY solutions, um, I would say, you know, maybe if you, I always would recommend seeing an attorney, even if it's just to review, just to see, because, you know, we all have different goals and wishes and all of that and making sure like you, you don't know what you don't know. So you trying to be your own attorney, it's like you trying to go on web, web indeed to diagnose yourself with an illness. You know what I'm saying? You don't have that prerequisite knowledge. And that's why there are professionals to help in those areas that you can lean on for their, you know, expertise and all of that. Um, but, you know, when you're trying to do it yourself, you, you're just input there. They're not attorneys. So they even say in the bot at the bottom of the website, there's a disclaimer that says they are not a law firm. This is not a substitute for legal advice. They're not by law. They can't do that. Um, and so you are, you are, pretty much just inputting information into a fill in the blank type of situation, um, which also presumes that every, like there's a one size fits all estate plan and there's not, I've, I mean, as, as much as I've been doing this now at this point, even, even families with the same situation, they have similar, they have the same number of kids. They're the same stage of life, same age, whatever the case may be, same goal. Like there might there are still nuances and tweaks based off of maybe their values you know just it, it's like the, the very nuanced type of thing that makes their plan very unique each that's why each plan I've never seen one that is the exact same um I've never drafted one that's the exact same and so uh you know I just want to stress upon just consider you know the fact that 
you're a unique person and you have unique wishes, you have, you, you, you might have unique assets, you know, whatever the case is, a unique family situation, are you in a blended family, you know, things can get real, you think that it's not complicated based off of how much you may or you think you do or do not have, but like I said, you could be in a blended family and that complicates things quite a bit, especially if you had kids from previous marriage and you have kids in the new marriage that you're in right now. So just consider, you know, at least talking to an attorney about these things um, just so that they, because they have the knowledge that you do not in this area. Like Professor Dawson said, it's a, it's a very, it gets very complicated and it's not just about how much you own or how much you think you own. Um, there are a lot of circumstances that make it, that can make it more complicated than you think. So, yes. <laughs> and I would also add just quickly that one of the things lawyers are trained to do, one of the things we train our law students to do is to always ask, what if? You know, well, what if this person dies before you? What if this person, you know, ends up with some kind of, uh, you know, behavioral disorder, or they get sick, or, you know, what if, what if, what if, in ways that I don't think clients think for themselves as often. And so we can draft around those hypotheticals, we can draft around those possibilities. But oftentimes, individuals aren't thinking about five years down the road, 20 years down the road. And, you know, once they get these documents in place, they might not change them as quickly as we would like and respond to life changes as quickly as we would like. So we can at least try to think as uh, as forward as we can and help the client think about, well, oh, well, never occurred to me that a child might predecease me. Well, of course, mm -hmm. as parents, we don't think about that, but we do want your legal documents to respond to that possibility if it were to happen. And attorney Harrigan Young, you have the last word. What would you like to add? Well, I would like to add, please consider it as an investment. This is important. And you're going to save money down the road, have more of a legacy to leave. When you use those DIY softwares, you're getting what you pay for. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your expertise, your insight, your, your thoughtful commentary. Um, this is a vitally important topic. We need to get the word out even more. We will no doubt have you all back again because we, we need to make sure we have more of these conversations, um, especially in our communities. But we are out of time. We want to thank our guest, Dorothy Nachman, who is a professor of law here at NCCU School of Law and also a proud alum of this wonderful law school. She teaches property, decedents, estates, and estate and gift taxation. And Mariah Street, a business and legacy planning attorney and another proud alum of NCCU School of Law. And Pamela Harrigan-Young, who is an attorney, CPA, tax expert, and has been educated in part here at NCCU School of Law. It has been a delight having you all on the show. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. And we hope you've enjoyed the show and that you've learned something and you will share it with your family and friends. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at LegalEagleReview at nccu.edu. And if you missed this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. 
Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.